Meanwhile, recorded live in the Lava Lamp Lounge, it's somewhere in between a radio zine. News, music, culture, stories, and more. This show is what we make of it, and hopefully you'll join us in the fun, too. Now let's get started. And welcome to finding new ways to running the various cables in your life. It's issue 10, Controlling Connectivity. There are so many reasons to want to get away from it all. And given our current lifestyles, it's no wonder that we all want to put the phone down, turn it off, or find some other way to lose contact with the world around us. But as this isolation and pandemic continues, the need to stay home only increases, and the need to find something to do outside of the home only increases. And as we continue to look at the same screens that we've been staring at since Friday the 13th, and we're wondering how much more of this we can take, our minds begin to look beyond the screens, beyond the windows in our houses, to all the things outside, to all the places and wonders that lie out there before us. And we begin to wonder how soon It will be before we're out there again. One thing that has become clear is that some things are certainly much riskier than others. Being outside seems to be particularly safe, especially if you're by yourself, and wearing masks seems to help keep the community safe. So for now, we wear masks, we stay home, and we try to find things to do that are outside of what we usually do indoors. In a way, the various problems and needs that are cropping up as we continue with isolation are starting to kind of work towards solving themselves. We need to do something that's not in the house and that gets us off the internet. And for the most part, there's a lot of outdoors that doesn't really mix well with the internet. In my recent efforts to get away from it all myself, I found myself out communing with the trees in some distant and remote parts of Oregon, and found that it does not take long before your cell phone no longer gets any kind of reception. You might have been able to get a few GPS coordinates programmed in before you left for the great outdoors, but in all reality, kind of having to deal with things the way we used to in the old days. That is to say, there's a reliance on maps, a little bit of common sense, and if all else fails, reading signs and thinking clearly. The other thing that happens very quickly is that you start to realize how futile it is to check your phone over and over and over and over and over again. You don't have a reception. There's nothing new on there. Your battery's probably dying soon anyway. Did you even bring a different camera? That's the only camera you've got. If you want to take any pictures during this trip, you better stop checking it. 
And in fact, the staticness of it begins to sort of weigh in your hand and begins to feel differently than when you're casually texting with friends or doom scrolling until the end of time. The weight of a useless phone seems particularly pointless out in the woods when, if you're backpacking, it becomes this extra thing that you're carrying. And if you're just hanging out at the campsite, it becomes this object you can't use because its primary function is to be plugged in, to be charged, and to be connected to things that aren't there. I found the mornings particularly strange. You wake up, you make a little coffee, you putter around the campsite trying to find out what damage the squirrels might have done to where you stashed things or hung things. This is the real test of the gear the morning after. And you're sitting in your chair, poking around at a dead fire, trying to figure out what you're going to do for the rest of the day. And you casually decide to try to look at your phone. But this isn't the kind of glance where you've been looking at it a few minutes before and you just want to see if anything's updated. And this isn't the kind of glance where it suddenly occurred to you that you want to settle some kind of argument about who was in Monster Squad. This is the casual glancing of a wandering mind. The way you would read a newspaper, sip your coffee reflectively. It's only then that I began to notice that most of my interactions with the phone were completely pointless. Everything else had a more useful analog in another form that was not only more entertaining and better for me, but seemed to convey more information more quickly and then freed me up to think about it and move on to other things. Especially when you're in the woods, and especially when you are camping, and especially if you have a nice little fire or a creek or some other kind of meditative natural event happening before you, you start to wonder, what is that thing in my pocket for, really? In times of crisis, yes, it is excellent to have a way to get in touch with people. And I cannot deny the usefulness of having internet access almost anywhere I go, with a little device that can be powered up by just plugging it into the wall for a few minutes. When you're out there in the woods, actually kind of considering what you need to do that day, the phone becomes a real burden, a drag, as Mike Watt calls it, a leash. John Hodgman has often referred to it as Mother Box, which it almost absolutely is, 100%. But it doesn't really have the same kind of protectiveness as a Mother Box does. In fact, the cell phones we carry in our pockets are almost anything but protective. Outside of the fact that you can probably dial 911 on almost any of them, almost anywhere, and you'll probably get someone answering the phone eventually, there's not a lot of functionality to them as devices. They don't really serve any other function except to communicate. Maybe there's a flashlight on there if your phone's charged, but if not, what's the point? 
if you're in the middle of the woods and you can't get a signal, you don't have GPS, in spite of all the boasts and claims that every single phone service seemed to be making about this particular feature. It becomes so much of the joke that is at the center of a certain television show we've all been thinking about and watching over the last few years, that as we look at that reflection, and as we try to decide if we want to comb our hair for the squirrels out at our campsite or whether or not we're just going to throw caution to the wind again as we go for our next hike, there is a really eerie uselessness that starts to seep into my mind. This certainly comes back to me as I'm driving towards civilization, and suddenly it begins to ring and blare and make all these awful noises that I haven't heard in days. What's going on? Why does it need my attention? I'm just driving here. The road says to go this way. Turn the phone off. What's the point? And then there's the slow download as we hunker down and check all the messages we've missed. All the posts that we didn't see as they had come in in real time while we were out in the woods. All those messages that were misdelivered or wound up in our inbox for some stupid reason. All those things slowly come through our consciousness. And in the end, what, it takes like an hour? And we're back to zero. We've seen it all. We've caught up. We're back at our house. Things have returned to normal. Do we really need that thing on anymore? So many of the experiences of trying to entertain myself during isolation have had this flavor of blotting out the real-time connectivity of my phone and the internet and experiencing something that sort of washes away or brushes away or even waves away the elements of that instantaneous experience and instead reach for something that is ephemeral and lasts for an unmeasurable amount of time, either short or long. This is absolutely the immersive effect of good entertainment. Books are absolutely the way that you can lose yourself in a world that feels absolutely complete and real and entertaining, and yet is merely this linguistic image represented on a page that you're scanning with your eyes. But the experience is so immersive that we lose track of time almost completely. And it's no wonder that when we look at our phones, reading social media and news, that we do also lose track of time. But there's no narrative to that experience. We end up seeing the same story over and over again. The repetitiveness of these headlines and memes that bounce over and over again across our eyes certainly has an almost hypnotic, uh, very much like working on the assembly line kind of experience. Yes, we lose track of time. But did we immerse ourselves in that experience? Probably not. 
we skimmed the surface of that reading, it barely even registering on our consciousness as we sort of float in this nebulous nothing. No real input being digested. No real output being put forward. We're just sort of lazily drifting on top of our social media experience in a way that feels almost like we're intertubing through digital flotsam and jetsam. Headlines and sound bites and YouTube clips. Can you say that it's actually as fun as sitting down and watching Enemy Mine? I mean, that movie rules. Not that I'm trying to make a frivolous point, but certainly when I sit down to work on a piece for radio, the hours just sort of evaporate. I get lost in the edit. I have fun with trying to find new ways to say different things. Where a nice little audio sample might play well, and where I can actually recover a full sentence just because I have a little bit of a digital tool in my belt that I can deploy at a moment's notice. The experience of doing anything, of making things, of having an experience that is outside of the social media world, there is something to it that is fulfilling, that brings meaning, and that actually kind of tickles my fancy in a way that feels good afterwards. And that's almost never the case as I'm doom-scrolling through bad news item after bad news item. Certainly staring out through windows and making plans for the future is a much better alternative to anything that we might see in the little window of our phones. But we have to do this safely, and we have to do this sanely. Thinking clearly and making good plans is the only way that entertaining ourselves can be done in a way that doesn't make this problem worse. Certainly, as we look to entertain ourselves outside of the home, this is the biggest concern. But the reward of leaving your house is pretty great. Being outside is so much fun in terms of having new stimulus thinking new ideas, and being able to safely entertain guests at a distance. All of those things are enticing enough to want to carefully consider how you could go about them in a way that would be absolutely worth it, and a lot of fun. And given the stress and difficulty that looking at our phones is having on our lives, it certainly seems like one way to improve our moods dramatically. I've got to take the weeks, I've got to have a fun vacation I've got to take my problem to the United Nations I done told my congressman and he said, quote, dick is what Sometimes I wonder what I'm gonna do, Lord, the ain't for the summertime blue So, let's think about this another way. We probably aren't going to be able to give up the internet completely. <laughs> our livelihoods, our lives, and our community is now entirely filtered through it. So, 
there's really no hope in just saying, let's chuck it out the window and start over. I mean, my letter writing campaign was nice and all, but it doesn't really yield the same kind of results as a few carefully chosen posts and interactions with my circle of friends online. So, yes, we gotta keep the internet. But what do we do instead, then? Clearly, something is not working. And we need to actually approach this in almost kind of like a, a job or a productivity sort of sense. That isn't to say that this is going to solve the problem completely. You can still abuse the internet if you put limits upon it. But this might help in terms of breaking up the monotony. One thing to consider is that at a job, you are required to take breaks. A lunch break every eight hours and at least two breaks during the other parts of that day. Why don't you treat your internet perusal in the same form? Give yourself an eight-hour block where you can uninterrupted use the internet without any restrictions whatsoever. That eight hours is yours, provided you take a lunch break and two fifteens. Within those restrictions, the rest of that eight hours is totally yours. Have at it. Go nuts. <sighs> Man, that's a lot of incognito tabs. Are you sure about that? Well, hey. It's your eight hours, you do you. At the end of that break, you really need to stop. Take a break. It is over. There is a lot more day left and you have not left that desk in eight hours. Get up, do something else. Now, there's a lot of ways that you can force this upon yourself. There's a lot of ways that service providers can stop serving your wireless connectivity at certain times of the day. You can turn it off in the evening and on in the morning, or you can just force yourself to take a few hour break or limit it to certain devices. Let's just say, for example, the streaming television might only work in the evenings where the desktops and laptops might work during the day. Now, this is gonna require a lot of negotiation. Some of us are isolated with partners and families, and they all have different needs that we need to consider very carefully. Don't make any rules about how the internet works if you are not the only one that depends on it. These things can actually be great conversations to have because it might reveal different kinds of needs that you were unaware of. And it might also reveal dependencies that you didn't know you had. And could open up for conversations about all of these dependencies and needs that might make you a stronger family and unit. Regardless, having conversations, setting limits, and finding the ways that you need to approach these problems versus the ways that you can just apply rapid blanket statements to situations without really thinking them through is definitely going to be the way that we can successfully beat this isolation without defaulting to using the internet as a crutch instead of the wonderful tool that it is. And now... Continued selections from Whamma, etc. From The Best of Miles by Flann O'Brien. Order your copy now. The fourth class is the Handling Superb, although it is not called that. 
La Traitement Superbe, being the more usual title. It is so superb that I have no space for it today. It will appear here next time, and in honor of the occasion, the Irish Times on that day will be printed on hand-scutched, antique, interwoven, de-medievialed, superfine Dutch paper, each copy to be signed by myself and to be accompanied by an exquisite picture in tricolor lithograph of the old house in College Green. The least you can do is to order your copy in advance. And one more word. It is not sufficient just to order your copy. Order it in advance. It will be remembered, how in heaven's name could it be forgotten, that I was discoursing on Friday last on the subject of book handling, my new service, which enables ignorant people who want to be suspected of reading books to have their books handled and mauled in a manner that will give the impression that their owner is very devoted to them. I described three grades of handling and promised to explain what you get under class four, the superb handling, or the traitement superbe, as we lads who spent our honeymoon in Paris prefer to call it. It is the dearest of them all, of course, but far cheaper than dirt when you consider the amount of prestige you will gain in the eyes of your ridiculous friends. Here are the details. Le traitement superbe. Every volume to be well and truly handled, first by a qualified handler and subsequently by a master handler, who shall have to his credit not less than 550 handling hours. Suitable passages in not less than 50% of the books to be underlined in good quality red ink, and an appropriate phrase from the following list inserted in the margin, vis-a-vis rubbish. Yes, indeed. How true, how true. I don't agree at all. Why? Yes, but see Homer, Odyssey, Passage 3, Line 151. Well, well, well. Quite, but Bousset in his Discourse sur la Histoire Universelle has already established the same point and given much more forceful explanations. Nonsense. Nonsense. A point well taken. But why in heaven's name? I remember poor Joyce saying the very same thing to me. Need I say that a special quotation may be obtained at any time for the supply of special and exclusive phrases? The extra charge is not very much, really. Furthermore, that, of course, is not all. Listen to this. Not less than six volumes to be inscribed with forged messages of affection and gratitude from the author of each work. Example. To my old friend and fellow writer, A.B., in affectionate remembrance from George Moore, in grateful recognition of your great kindness to me, dear A.B., I send you this copy of The Crock of Gold, your old friend, James Stevens. Well, A.B., both of us are getting on. I'm supposed to be a good writer now, but I am not old enough to forget the infinite patience you displayed in the old days when guiding my young feet on the path of literature. Accept this further book, poor as it may be, and please believe that I remain, as ever, your friend and admirer, 
G. Bernard Shaw. And that's going to do it for us this week here on the program. Somewhere in between a radio zine, Controlling Connectivity, Issue 10. Contains stories written by Austin Rich and Flan O'Brien, including Returning from Getting Away from Complete Connectivity, Managing Your Connectivity, and more excerpts from Whamma, etc. This episode was produced by Austin Rich in the Lava Lamp Lounge and was assembled using only the finest in 20th century technology. In the long-standing tradition of Mozines, there is an open submission policy here. If you have a story you'd like to send in, read, or just want to be a part of the show, why not drop a line to austinrich at gmail.com? That's going to do it for us this week. You guys are wonderful. You guys are beautiful. And without you, there would be no program. Be seeing you. Somewhere in between.